Good afternoon, Rob Jones and your glorious stash. <laughs> it's it's a belter. Heidi has disowned me now for the whole month of November and kicked out the house, which means I can run more because I'm not allowed inside <laughs> like a dog. It's a stash goatee. I've gone from it. I've gone from Mexican, so I've got the the full coverage on the top lip. It creeps off down the sides a little bit, and I've got that little bit of fluff yeah. on the bottom there. I'm not uh, sure that's going to stay. It's not a goatee, that it's a soul patch, isn't it? I think a they soul call it. patch, yeah. I think or, um, the edges will come off. I'm going to go for the Magnum PI look, but I just want to solid. grow these bits out of it so I can twist them up. Solid. Or uh, what is it? It's, they used to call it a Beppe from EastEnders <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> Brilliant. This time of year always reminds me of, it was last year, wasn't it? Because it's 30-30 yeah. now, isn't it? And this time last year, Marcus was running... 24 hours around the track. Yes. And I think, actually, you went here. Some reason I had an awful moustache on, obviously because of November, <laughs> but I don't know who I was <laughs> up against. Myself. I, I went back for a funeral to the UK. That's it. Ah, that's right. All pictures of just of me running with him with this terrible stash. <laughs> but we, were, we always joke, don't we? They make you faster and... You know, that morning I'd won a 10K race and then yeah. gone on and run a few hours with him. So, I, you know, there is some method to it. It's funny. Like, you always do some the coolest stuff in November because the weather starts to get really nice. Everyone's out racing, but you've just got ridiculous, horrible facial hair. Yeah. Right now I've, I am growing a, a pretty decent beard, but not by choice. I kind of just keep forgetting to to shave it's out of pure laziness there is not it's enough time in the day for you to shave. pure laziness is why i have this but <laughs> mate if i shave off the beard and leave the stash you're in trouble you can have an you can have a 22 hour training week but you can't take two minutes to shave off a bit of fluff you're in trouble if if i shave off and grow the smell out yeah it's gonna be good i think you should start get it done you're already a day yeah. late true true did we have them for uh, the shake zayed road run as well i think we did Again, another key event in the Dubai calendar where we looked ridiculous. <laughs> that was such a good day. So, yeah, 30 30 is underway. It is. Mm -hmm. 30 minutes of exercise, 30 minutes a day. Oh, for 30 days. 30 minutes for 30 days. Have you been to any events or have you got any events lined up? Um, absolutely none, mate. I think normally I just kind of go along by accident and mm. then realize what I'm actually in. Yes. But, uh, yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't actually got any on the calendar. I'm going to, obviously, our guys are racing, so I'm going to a few of the non-3030 events. But no, what are you? Well, no, I've been, I was looking through the list, actually, just to get an idea of what's going on. It's just, there's hundreds of things, isn't there? There's yeah. hundreds of things. Out, and lots of virtual stuff is going on again, uh, which is quite cool. I think there's going to be more of that this season, the, the virtual if you like 30 minute hit sessions, 30 minute training sessions, 30 minute runs, even the, the Shakeside Road run this year is now not on Shakeside Road. If you try it this year, you will get hit by a car. So please don't. It is virtual. Do not try and copy the same route. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. I do. There's always a good buzz around the city at this time of year with all the events that are going on. It is. And I think, dare we say it, the weather has now turned. We are officially in winter. It's quite humid. It was humid this morning, but yes, let's go with it. We've mm. put it out there. 
on Saturday I went and rode, I did my ride quite late in the afternoon and I was like, yes, we're it's here. here. It's, it's happening. A good sign is when you can open the door in the morning, open the door into the garden or open the kitchen window and it's, you don't cook yourself. Yes. And that time has arrived. So yes, it is, it is turned. My new measure is how hot does it need to be for the dog not to want to go out? <laughs> if he looks at me like, yeah, no, mate, I'm like, I oh, yeah, probably it's midday. This, it's, this is also news we've not hot. discussed actually. You now have a dog. Yeah, in-house client. In-house client. New in-house client. Training's going well. Monitoring is training loads at the moment because when they're young, you've got to be careful. But uh, yesterday we started off our hill rep scheme. So to come out to the dunes just by my house. Yeah. And uh, he's pretty good at going up. Not too coordinated coming down, but <laughs> lots to work on. <laughs> that is actually a thing though. You can, you can over exert a dog and they get ruined. They can, can. ruin a dog. Yeah. yeah. Actually, all they want to do is run and play, right? True. When um, he's a black lab and I have one in the UK as well. That's with my mum now, but when she was a bit young, I, I would take her for runs and things. And, and we do think we probably overexercised her a little bit too young. So now hips and joints hurt. And she ran 10K with me once. And it, and it involved hill reps within it. <laughs> she loved it. But they just do whatever you want them to do, don't they? They don't really tell you when they're sore or no, don't want to go for a run. It's fantastic. I want to keep going. And uh, has it's a dog, right? Obviously, it's a dog. <laughs> has, dog he, yeah. uh, has he been clipped by the turbo yet? Mm. by the pedals on yes. the bike yes he has so um quite early on when he was really young i had him about three i think this is week four now mm. and uh he's he was three months when i got him and yeah he was kind of really attached close to me so i was on the bike and then the head was going forwards and i was like watch your head and then clip straight on top of the head with the pedal and then he went back for more so it obviously didn't hurt enough the first time but now he just sits underneath uh, my bars like by the front wheel as close as he can be but out of the danger zone yeah he's in the sweat zone though he's in the sweat zone for sure yeah 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 he's, he, he doesn't care mate he's pretty uh he's, he's just yeah has no cares in the world Perfect. but he is on strict training regime strict i don't hear any barking there's not been a peep he's locked away none mate no he's not he's open he's he's around somewhere he's chilling he's lying down he's sleeping Awesome. So, we also kicked off Project DXB this weekend. We the did. Weekend gone. We did, and we went for a smaller group this year because we thought COVID restrictions is probably actually better. We decided to go for a more intimate group, and they all turned up, went, came to the gym, and we did our kickoff meeting. We did. It's actually yeah. perfect because we couldn't have fit any more in our kickoff meeting room with social distancing. So, it, was, <laughs> it just yeah. so happened that the number fits it's in true, the actually. office. It's so cool. I, I absolutely love this time of year, but I also think it's mainly because Project DXB kicks off again and, and this year is year three. But I was thinking, mate, what we did, you know, with last year and I kind of looking around at one of our group sessions the other day and at least six or seven of them were there because of Project DXB and mm -hmm. like the community of it. And like, even from year one, we have Pete who's come back. He was in year one. He's come back again to be on mm -hmm. for year three. Um, I'm still coaching Zoe, who's now lives in New Zealand, and she was our year one. She was on the, the plan in year one. Ashley Pops, she's still in our group stuff. She was year one. Uh, there's still faces at the gym. 
And it's just so cool as it develops as the years go on that you bring these guys into the community and they stick around and motivate others. I think that's the, the best bit for me is you see them as they develop and grow, they start to motivate other people who are new to the community as well, because I guess they know exactly what it feels like. They're sort of yeah. fresh to it. And it's, um, I suppose it's the same with year two as well. Obviously I wasn't there for year one, but year two, we've had loads of people that were again, still in the community and I've gone on and just tried loads of cool stuff. We've had some of them that have gone from marathon into triathlon into Ironman. Uh, Adriana was out at the weekend. She went from a marathon. She ran 70K around Alcudra for her Into the Darkness. I just like, <laughs> they're, they're, just, they're doing incredible things. It started from, it started from a, either a marathon or a 10K project. Yeah, I know. I think it is, training is one side of it, but it's the mindset is, is the other, isn't it? Mm. it's really Definitely. cool so it'll be fun to see what happens with those guys over the next 12 weeks and how much how much speed and endurance we can get out of them yes it will be tomorrow first track session tomorrow is the first track session yeah it's always a daunting th- one kick things off with a with a bang i think there's the part of the feed uh part of the description in the training the, the description starts with this starts with a bang. <laughs> yeah, be well warmed, warmed up. <laughs> yes. So, mate, what else is going on? How's uh, ultra running training? I actually really? saw a, a good story from you today, actually. Go on. It would be good for you to share on the show. Ah, okay. So that everything doesn't always go to plan. Who knew? Who knew? Yeah. No, what I put up today. So the plan was, or in theory, the plan was it was a a descending distance block. So you're after a decent warm up. So for my warm up, I, I ran Hannah to school, ran home. That was cool. Dropped the buggy off, got into the set. And it was four, three, two, one kilometer reps. Um, holding, it was meant to hold like a 3.55 pace, 3.56, something like that. I just couldn't, the first 4K one went okay. Then I got to the 3K rep. I just couldn't hold it. It was 4.03. And then the 2K rep was 4.04 and the, it just started dropping and I was busting my gut. And I don't think I could have done any more without my heart rate going far too high. And so I just had to accept that today was not the day, but it's okay. So did, go you, back. did you have a parameter for your heart rate or was it you need to hit the paces? Doesn't matter what your heart rate is. It was hit the paces, but I knew that it wasn't meant to be a zone five session. Yeah. So it was kind of like I could have hit it, but I was trying to, to not push myself into that point where it, it changes the focus of the session. And on those intervals, what are you looking at? Your real-time pace or your average pace for that lap? So I was looking, overall, I wanted to hit the 350, let's go with 355. And I was looking at the real-time pace. So I was able to obviously start the rep quite well and then, at the same, if you like, RP intensity effort, it just it was coming back. I was just just breaking that four minutes. So it was five seconds per K, six seconds per K off the rep. Because mm. sometimes when you're looking at average lap, which is what mm. I like to use, you can almost deceive yourself that like, okay, the first half, say it's a 4K, the first K you run at 3.55 and it's on your average. And then you think, shit, I've got another 3K to hold at this pace and then you realize if you look when you look back at the data afterwards you've run the first half of that k at like 
340s and then you've backed off to 410s and it's averaged up at 355 but that that early on spurt of speed for 500 meters is what's now kind of effed you for the rest of the yeah it's really interesting so i i look at I've, i've noticed that before and i always try and have especially for the the interval when they get done to the shorter intervals when that first one 200 meters can really influence the 1k distance i have my live pace and i have my average pace so i'm tracking both at the same time mm. okay yeah. so tell me how that felt in your mind then so you're, you're looking at a number and you and you want it to desperately be dropping but you can't well, this is it yeah so well, and i know but i know that the distances are dropping so in theory that the pace should be harder or easier to hit throughout the session but it was just getting harder and harder and you just have that that voice on your shoulder just telling you you can't hit those paces what are you doing like you may as well just stop the session why, why don't you just stop and go home and do it again try it again another day but i was like no in the end like my body doesn't know the difference it's five seconds a k there's nothing really yeah um, but i was really beating myself up about it and then i was trying to talk myself out of it i was saying oh well do you know why your sleep was terrible last night? You're up five times. It's Hannah's fault. <laughs> so, God. Yeah, everything, everything was against you. And I was like, no, do you know what? It's still, I can still have a really good session out of this. It's, it's not what I wanted, but my body doesn't know any different. I'll get adaptation from that. Tomorrow's a new day. I'll attack tomorrow's session, which is a different focus. And I know I'm confident in that session tomorrow. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. I, I certainly have this every week, certainly with swimming. Yeah. It, um, is you just, you get up, you look at the time, you think, how the hell was I off by that much? And then, yeah, all those excuses run through your head and, and you just got to get into the habit of thinking, no, forget that, move on to the next one. How mm. can I be better? How can I do better? Instead of trying to think of all the other factors that you could be blaming. Well, this is it. And then by contrast, this was in... In total, it's 10 kilometers of intervals. And I was, my average for those 10 kilometers was like 404, 405 per K. By contrast, last week I got up and I did, I think it was 12 or 13 K nonstop at 348, something like that, that sort of pacing. Um, and it felt great. I felt like I could have kept going and I shouldn't have stopped. So just the difference, it's, it's important for people to realize that you're going to have as many good sessions as you have bad sessions, but not don't beat yourself up when the bad sessions happen. It happens to everybody. Just yeah. really enjoy those good sessions. And then when the bad ones happen, it's enjoy them as well. <laughs> true. true. Well, I did, uh, I ran for two and a half hours last week. Total. That's nuts. Back you're in back. the game. You're back. Slowly. You did put out there that you've, you're going to try and uh, obliterate me in a race that's coming up soon. Yeah, I I needed something to to uh, just be competitive with. I think that's been playing on my mind since you said that yesterday. And I'm I like, so. and I, do you know what? I was thinking about this on my run this morning. I was going, Tom can't beat me. No, he won't be back by then. He won't have enough pace. And I was like, shit, actually, it's 35k. If he's 10 seconds a k faster, then that's going to equal sit like just under six minutes, right? How am I going to make six minutes on him? <laughs> and then I just like this was going round in my head in the middle yeah. of the rep. It was yeah. everything, everything. <laughs> Competition is key. We yeah, all need it to be motivated. It's so, so competitive. <laughs> but it's 5th of Feb, mate. Um, is that what it is? Yeah, right, okay. 5th of Feb. So I'm now, I'm currently at 50% of my normal running volume. Mm-hmm. Another three weeks, I'll be back 100. Shit. 
and then it's go time. It's good. I actually did my first kilometer at race pace uh, last week in nine weeks. How was that? It long. It was. It felt amazing to be running again, especially at, at race pace. But then it all dawned on me: okay, you now have to do this at for forty-two point two k at the end of an Ironman. Oh my god, I've got some training to do. <laughs> Would you say that you've made it in, so because your foot, because you're not being able to run, would you say that your swimming's come on or your bike's come on or because it's affected everything? Has everything stepped back a little bit? No, no, no. Um, right now, if you ask me how me and swimming are getting on, we're, we're not great, but that's because I'm pretty tired with it. Mm -hmm. So um, like, it's not a good combination running and swimming, essentially. It's a very bad one. Your core... You don't realize it, but your core coordination is really affected a lot by how tired your legs are and your glutes and things. And in the pool, you need one thing you really need is a really rigid core. And uh, so if you start to pick up your running or you run a little bit more intensively or have more intensive run weeks and try and hold up um, your sort of prime swim form, it's a real struggle and it's a real skill. So yeah, at the moment I'm, I'm cursing most times I get in the pool, but that's just because I'm pretty fatigued from swimming load and, and I'm running again but my swimming's definitely developed in the last eight to nine weeks for sure just purely mm -hmm. I can handle more swim load and then the bike has stepped up a lot because I put so much more time in on the bike basically all my running time went into um nah, not all of it but a lot of it went into cycling time so uh actually yeah new new threshold powers 10 minutes 20 minutes and Probably I would set a new hour power now if I had a session that did that, but I'm not. And I've kept my weight down, which is also cool. Mm. So yeah, no, definitely developed. Just, just the run hasn't, but it will now. We're back. Pain-free. Excellent. <laughs> Ready, mate, for the 5th of Feb. <laughs> all that matters. Good. I'm going to have to go in the secret sauce. Secret sauce. Um, we've got a we've got two journals to talk about today. Oh, sorry, journal posts. Journal posts. Um, yeah. Studies, I should say. And we have a question. Okay. So, what do you want to What do you want to kick off with? Well, I quite like one of the one of the studies I haven't told you about. I'm going to deliver it to you as a question, mm. and then we're going to discuss it. But. The, one of the studies was sent over by one of your clients, Jeff, yeah. who did 50-50-50 on the weekend, actually. Congrats to him. Couldn't do it when we did it, but made his own and went and smashed it. Um, and it's yeah, very interesting. I, we, sorry, just to interrupt you there. He, uh, we had a call last night, just a little debrief call, and uh, he felt fantastic the whole way through. He said, and I said, so hang on, are you trying to tell me that it's too easy? No, like, no, 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 no. It's not too easy. So you want us to make it longer and harder for next year. So the feedback from Jeff is he felt great the whole way around. There was no low points, no dips. It needs to be harder. Wow. Hey, Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a chat on Walker Wednesday. <laughs> Unreal. Uh, it just, just goes to show he was, um, because he was self-isolating, let's say, for two weeks. He, and uh, obviously that's a very good recovery time. He was well-fueled, well-hydrated, well-prepared. We had a good plan. He 
ditched the plan for nutrition whenever something went slightly wrong and then just went on how his body wanted food and he, he flew around the course. Brilliant. That's very, so very cool. Good. Well, I think he was reading this while he was mm. actually in uh, his quarantine because of yes. COVID. And it's around uh, ultra runners getting sick or injured. Yeah. And I was actually going to ask you, mate, when was the last time you were, you were sick or injured? I was trying because I was reading this and trying to think as well because I was looking at I was looking I think the last time I had an injury but we won't call it an injury per se it was a niggle was my left Achilles and it was over a year ago was it I would say yeah it was because it was preparing for um, UTMB. Mm, it was and it was a bit tight and a bit sore so I went and had some work done on it that was the last time I was injured last time I got sick was after I ran uh, the Jurassic Way in the summertime and it flew I had that weird thing with my stomach where every time I ate anything I was in crippling crippling pain well that's interesting okay here's my next question to you then but when you when you did your Achilles Mm -hmm. did your training load step up quite fast because you had UTMB on the way it was, I would say it was a very, grad, it was probably a steady build, to be honest. Mm. Uh, the volume definitely increased and I wasn't doing as much prehab work that I should have been doing. Mm. And then the Jurassic way, mm-hmm. you, how much volume had, been, had you been doing compared in relative terms compared to the volume you did running that? in the six weeks prior to it? Still probably a good, it was, the volume was high, but what I was definitely doing was taking more, paying more attention because I know that my left Achilles has always been, it's happened twice for preparing for long stuff. So I was very, very cautious. And because it was lockdown time, I had more, and I was in the UK, I had a bit more time during the day, longer uh, daylight hours to be yeah. able to do rehab, prehab, and the preventative stuff around the running. That sorry i'm on a different point here but oh. when when you were going into the the one you did in the summer yes how long did it take you uh just short of 13 hours okay and what was your longest run up to that point oh longest run up to the 150 probably not more than three or four hours to be honest so your your load your acute load on that on that race day let's call it compared yes. to your like chronic load of what you've yeah. been doing was was high. Yes. And then what did you do in that week after? Did you just rest? I did rest, yes. And then so got this, sick. This all falls in to play with this uh, study's results as well. Yes, it does. And it's nothing new. It's absolutely nothing new that we don't know, but it was quite interesting to see it put on from an ultra perspective. Um, so I think a good way to explain this, because a lot of people know it if they have training peaks is that pink line and blue line Mm. yeah go on no no go for it well i was going to say how how often do you get asked what's the pink line and what's the blue line (laughs) all the time all the time all the time yeah same and yeah it's it's quite easy to explain the pink line is your acute training load and the blue line is your chronic training load atl and ctl Hmm. acute means over the past seven days 
and chronic yep. means over the past six weeks. Yeah, it, six can, it can be weeks. can be a bit shorter, can it? It can be like three weeks plus. Yeah, it kind of depends what you're pulling from it, but mm. um, or the timelines you're pulling from. But yeah, in this study anyway, they've defined it as six to eight weeks. Yep. And what it's telling us is if you suddenly bump up your acute training load, so your yeah, sessions yeah. within a week, you are likely to get injured, pick up an injury, mm-hmm. um, most commonly in the hip, knee, or foot, ankle areas. That and, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And if you go into a race or an ultra marathon without a large um, base, accumulative uh, yeah. fatigue, chronic training load, then you're likely to get um, sick post race. Yes. Especially if you, but I think this is what is interesting me on this article is they say you're likely to get um, sick post race if your acute training load is under 0.50 which like say under um it's it's hard to describe depending on what method you're using but let's say um you your normal acute training load in a week is it sat around i don't know 50 Mm -hmm. and then you uh in that seven days post ultra marathon you do like less than five or 10 um, points towards that acute fatigue, you're more likely to get ill. And that okay. is, so what they, and then they've basically left it as if you do nothing post-race, you're likely to get ill. But I don't think that's the cause. Like, I would like to know more about that. Um, yeah, it didn't really the, go into that. It's sort of, it, the, the study, they, they looked at how many people were getting ill, how many people were getting injured. They looked at, how much data they could collect. So their training sessions, their, um, they looked at how they were feeling, their RPE in the session. They looked at, um, what else did they look at here? Let's just pull this up. <clears throat> yeah, the distance per week, duration, frequency, their average session RPE, um, and then whether they got ill or injured. Yeah. Pre, yeah before, during, or after it was, wasn't it? Up to 13 to 16 weeks post-race. So, yeah, I think that it's kind of a... Did you get sick because the race... I don't think it was the lack of training post-race that caused the sickness. I think it was probably the race that caused the sickness. Yes, I would say... I No, I'm going to put down what... I was thinking more and reflecting more on this. The reason I think I got ill is because I've, I've put it back to, I drank all my own fluid. I ate nothing that was, if you like, from the land. It was all bought or safe food, let's say. But there was at one stage where I, I went, there was a, a river that was running through one of the fields and I splashed water on my face, washed my hands, that sort of thing. And thinking back at the time, I just bl- I hadn't even thought that I wasn't in the mountains. I was in the middle of bloody Norfolk or wherever it was <laughs> on the flatlands in fields. So that was full of cow manure. It's full of fertilizer. It's, it's not fresh water. It's runoff from a field. Um, mm. There's no mountains anywhere nearby. So that it was probably riddled with stuff in that water. And I reckon that that's what did it. 
That's what it is. But then mm-hmm. because of the sheer distance of running 150K and mm-hmm. the amount of stress points that was on you, I mean, yeah. it was a 700 TSS run. It was. If we're going by the accuracy of uh, your what, what chest for that one as well. But um, your... Oh, I've lost my train of thought completely. Oh, you're suppressing your immune system mm. for that much exercise. So probably your immune system's down, plus you've put a huge load of fatigue into your body. That's what's caused you to get ill. I think if you'd carried on training in the week after, it wouldn't have mattered. Probably made it worse. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so that I would like to them to have, they've just basically stated a correlation they found, but not explained it any more than that. But I think the article does really well at highlighting the points that if you go from nothing to a lot too fast, you're likely to get injured. And the reason why we try and build your chronic load up gradually, so you're basically your base phase, which is why mm-hmm. most for ultramarathon runners, their base phase needs to be their longest phase by far. The reason is so that they can handle more of the harder acute training loads weeks so the harder weeks within their phases and not get injured or sick from it Um, because if you don't have that base there you might have one or two really good runs but eventually that acute training load is going to build and build a build and your chronic load won't be there won't be big enough for you to take on the amount of acute load and you're going to get sick from it because exercise does break us down we do it does lower our immune system and if we're not recovering properly and we're not putting in enough recovery compared to our exercise, then sickness will, will occur for sure. Yeah. I think as well, they put, they put, they look at the ratio in this study between acute. So your, your weekly training load to your chronic, which is your three to six week, let's call it monthly for argument's sake. So your weekly to monthly uh, workload ratio. And then they reckon that the, one of the best ratios for let's say, to, to reduce injury risk in team sports. They looked at rugby, they looked at football, and they looked at cricket randomly. Um, and they reckon the best acute to um, chronic workload ratio is between 0.8 and 1.3. But what they hadn't looked at was, this, well, they call this the sweet spot. So anything below that, you're under-conditioned. And so you're, you're not going to be able to perform and then if you perform at a higher level you're likely to get injured and anything over that you're you're likely to be um overtraining perhaps yeah so i was thinking as well then we we look at these lines every day so we're kind of used to them we know around six ramp points is good for a blue line between four to six is good for blue line any more than that you're likely to be doing too much within your acute training load. Mm-hmm. But how else can we figure it out from a more real life perspective for your everyday athletes? So how would you think, mate, if, if you, so say you're in my shoes, getting back into running and I'm like, sweet, I'm, I'm back into running. Um, I haven't run for seven weeks. <laughs> how do I know if too much how do I know if I'm going to be too, having too much acute load on myself? And this is like, this is like the classic, isn't it? Everyone, when, when you get a new runner on, everyone is so excited that they're a new runner. They want to just start running every single day and they want to go out and they want to do a marathon or a half marathon. And they see everyone on Instagram that's out doing 
you know, marathons on their balcony. And what they don't realize is that we have these huge aerobic bases that we've built up over two, three, five, ten years. So we are able to do that because of that, not because of what we've done last week. Yeah. So, I mean, like you say, the, the data is all fantastic, but for the people that don't have the data or maybe their data is not right, they don't wear their heart, heart rate strap for a week or they wear it and the data is wrong, but they still log it. And so it's going to affect the numbers. What's a real time, so I suppose, measure is, is how you're feeling. How do you feel when you wake up every morning? Do you feel fatigued? Do you jump out of bed and feel fantastic? How do you feel post-run? For the easy runs, are your legs heavy all the time or are they springy? You know, I, I, I measure my heart rate variability every single day and I answer those reflective questions. I think one is um, your, what's your mood? How was your sleep quality? First of all, how long were you asleep? What's your sleep quality? What are you drinking? Um, are you motivated to train today? Uh, is your daily routine normal or are you traveling? Is there extra stress? Uh, do you feel fatigued? What's the other ones? Um, uh, I actually haven't used it for months. Can't remember. But it's basically lots of questions to make you think and reflect on how you're feeling first thing when you wake up. And then it spits the number back out at you and it says, actually, you're ready to perform. And some days you don't feel ready, but the numbers are saying you are ready. And on other days, you might feel just no. And then the, the, the numbers marry up. And you're actually, I do need to just reduce the intensity today. Um, so for me, I, I go a lot on how I feel. There are days when I know I'm not ready to go and hit, smash out a really intense session. And that's fine. I swap my training around and I'll put in the easier session. And then some days I think, actually, I'm ready to absolutely beast myself today. And I'll pull in an intense session. But what I'll just make sure that I do obviously again just being a bit more aware don't put back-to-back -back intense sessions next to each yeah. other because then you're going to just go down the rabbit hole of injury and illness risk yeah tom martin if you're listening <laughs> don't know if he does or not but he knows about that of course he does he loves a smash fest <laughs> yeah and and then i think it's good to reflect post session as well mm. like my calves are pretty sore after my first few runs back and uh i was just like getting laced up ready to go out for a, um another run thursday which was uh, towards the end of the day and i was like oh man my calves are absolutely minced here so i thought i'll just warm up a bit more like i'll i'll do a few more knee to walls i'll roll my feet a bit more and and yeah if i get 10 minutes in and i'm it's getting worse i'll stop and and head back as it happens it, it eased off but you do have to really be aware not just to look at your data and not just to look at your training plan but think okay yeah like maybe i am putting on a little bit too much acute stress onto my body here because i can actually feel it like it's not something that is you know like non uh completely lost the word but it's it's measurable by feel it's not something that you're relying on data points to assume for you mm -hmm. you know uh, algorithms assume things for you or is based on on data that you're inputting which is only as accurate as the person inputting it whereas how you actually feel and, and how your muscles feel and how your brain is telling you you feel is real like you can't uh, estimate that you are bang on correct however you feel you're right <laughs> yeah 
Um, and so that's a, a good way of, of just checking in with yourself and making sure that, you know, we as coaches, we predict how much we think is the right amount of acute training load for you in your week, but we can only predict it. You need to actually be aware of it. And it works the other way. Like you were saying, mate, sometimes you feel like absolutely smashing yourself. It works the other way too. If you feel like you're not getting enough stimulus, although this is very, very rare that I would recommend someone to do this, but if you feel like you're not getting enough stimulus and you need to go a little bit harder and you feel a million dollars, then yeah, crack on and, and get it done. I have, I have that with someone. It's uh, a new client I'm working with and we're just trying to find that sweet spot of volume where she, we, we did the first few weeks and she wanted more volume. I thought, are, are you sure about this? There's quite a lot of volume in there and right enough she can, she can handle it. And mm. she does, you know, she commutes to work um, on a bicycle. She commutes back from work. She's already getting a lot of really easy miles in and I hadn't factored that in to my initial calculation, just that she's already got a huge cycling base there because she just cycles everywhere. Yeah. So she can handle all that. Um, she can handle the, the training load. She's got that huge chronic training load background. So exactly. she can handle more. Um, and so now we find a, a good spot where we can really get her some gains. But the training nice. load is just insane in a week because of all these commutes. Traffic light intervals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good. All right. I thought that was a good, good study. And thank you, Jeff, for sending it in. Yeah. If anybody wants to read it, let us know and we can uh, send you it across. Send it over. The next one, mate, is uh, I found it. I get a few notifications of different journals, uh, different studies coming out in a few different journals. And this one jumped out of me because it had the word ultramarathon in it. Okay. When you go running in the mountains, mm -hmm. or, or let's say when you spent your time in Chamonix on a camp or whatever, do you feel you get better at running down the hills as the camp goes on? Or do you feel like your best day running downhill is the first day and you get worse from then on? I feel like I get better as it goes on. I find actually, even, not even as a camp goes on, as a training session will go on, I will get better at running downhill. There we go. And just so listeners know, you've not seen... The study that I'm about to you wouldn't send it to me you said we got two studies and you only sent me one so this was looking at the effect of a fatiguing ultra trail on the graded energetically optimal stride frequency now I titles like this for studies piss me off so much because they're running out of things to study so they have to come up with these insane new words and sentences like graded energetically optimal stride frequency essentially that is your preferred stride um Cadence, your preferred so the, cadence. What is the Tom Walker layman's terms for the title of this study? And I love it. Graded energetically. That, that means downhill or uphill. <laughs> anyway, I thank you for these guys for doing the study and delivering us with this information, but please sort the title out. <laughs> so they, they had a group of ultra runners yeah. and they took eight of them and they went and ran an ultra race. And then they took six of them and they were their control group who didn't do an ultra race, but they did, they stayed awake for the same time and they performed the normal um, day. So yeah. they did their daily physical activities, but they avoided strenuous exercise um, for this six hour period that these other guys were going for an ultra run. And before they did this, they measured their preferred and optimal stride frequencies. And then they were that, put into sorry, one of the two that, Did they measure that on the flat? Uh, sorry, they did it on three different um, 
conditions. So level, uphill, and downhill. Okay. 5% incline uphill and 5% decline, um, obviously, downhill. And then they were split into this eight and six group, and they the eight group went off and ran, and the six group did something for the six hours while the eight group was running. Anyway, what they found was that despite maintaining similar dynamics of stride frequency during the downhill running, the experimental group wasn't able to optimize its gait. So they basically, they went out, they ran downhill, but the fatigue of it was so high when they came back to run downhill again, they couldn't optimize um, they couldn't run the way they wanted to because obviously they were fatigued from running the trail race. Mm -hmm. So what they're saying is this suggests that the downhill section of ultra trail runs can introduce a changing factor in the runner's optimization process. And something that we bang on about all the time is highlighting the need for incorporating downhill bouts of training. So because when you're, when you go on like your, trail camps mate and you're running downhill on the first day or whatever and you're finding it you know okay this i need to remember how to run downhill because obviously dubai is flat but you are you go out into the mountains and stuff don't you or when you go to chamonix mm -hmm. so you're remembering how you run downhill you're remembering how you can optimize your gait but that's also training you for those days coming afterwards yeah so then as the, as it goes on you're feeling better and better because you're training this downhill uh running gait and so it made me think more for, say, like the ultra runners, especially that you're coaching, mate, is when you get into the, that taper period, we actually want to keep a little bit of downhill running, almost th thinking it's like skills work. Yeah. Because come race day, if you don't do any of it, you're going to be, you're going to get pretty smashed. The more the race goes on, the more you're going to be feeling smashed running downhill, which I think we can all relate to when we've run a hilly course is by the end, those final downhills, you're like wincing with every step yeah because you've not thought of it as being a, an actual skill that needs to be trained and developed even in during your taper phase for that kind of course definitely oh did, did it mention um anything about distance obviously there's going to be a fine no. line between how far it runs because then you're going to have the the general fatigue in the legs like the, obviously the longer the distance is going to be impact you're running downhill anyway yeah it's going to be a sweet spot yeah, I couldn't um, access the full journal, the full article. Mm. Um, so I just got the abstract of it. So no, I don't have the, the full details of it. Interesting. But that would also be interesting to look at, yeah. I so think it's just, go the on. Race, the race that we're going to do that's quite hilly, it's only 35K and it's got a few good climbs. So that, that first descent is going to prime you for the second one. Yes. Later on in the race. Yes, there you go. So what we should be doing is going on the Thursday and doing a few up downhill repeats just to prime our legs. We should, mate. Exactly. That's how we need to be thinking about it. But also, it, I think it more as well um, is important for like multi-stage. Yeah. Too. So not worrying in the first few days if you feel a bit off because you're, you know, getting used to running downhill. Then you know that your your gait's going to kind of change a little bit, but that is sort of your training process ready for the, the back half of it. If you like. Yeah. So yeah, I need it's like that. Cause you love running down hills, don't you? I do love, I love them. <laughs> I don't know why it doesn't make sense that you like running downhill, but 
you do. Because <laughs> it's just fantastic. I love running down. It's because it's a, it's a completely different out-of-body experience. You can go... I just like the feeling of being completely out of control. <laughs> I, I know the feeling on a bike, but I've got to say, I hate running downhill. I, just, running downhill. I wait for something to start hurting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just knees or hips or something. But um, I do know the feeling on a bike. I just, actually, do you remember this time last year we were in Oman, weren't we? Yes, that's right. We went up to Jebel Shams, wasn't it? Was it? Yes. Yes. We, was it about 3K? No, it was 3,000 meters elevation, wasn't it? it? Yes, that's right. Yeah. It took us half a morning or something. I can't remember. <laughs> but I swear, <laughs> it took me even longer to get back down. <laughs> that's right. And yeah, we went, we went down quite quickly. I think it you took... flew down, mate. Yeah. yeah I remember. I think it's like a two to one up to down ratio. Yeah. I got so sunburned. <laughs> you went on like a two to three up to down ratio. I know. Cause uh, I just, the thought, I, I mean, I know I've rolled an ankle since then, but the thought of doing it is what gets me running downhill. Just don't have enough faith in my uh, lower body joints. <laughs> yeah. And in my head I was going, this bit's going to be fantastic in the race. I'm going to make up so much ground here. Little did I know I'd spend seven hours camped at the top, wrapped in about six sleeping bags after being pulled from the course. And that True. walk back the next day was my dejected walk of shame, if you like. Uh, true. Right, the last thing we've got today is a question. It's a fast question. It is, from Derek. They're all and coming in. Derek actually sent us a Garmin connect file and I, I had a look and I thought oh Derek's from Manchester and then I th- was having a look at, at which part of Manchester and then I thought no he's not he's from uh, London he's got Croydon near him and then I zoomed out a bit more and I was like oh Ringwood that's near Southampton and then I did it again and I was like Wonga Park I don't know about that in the UK and then kept zooming out and actually he's near Melbourne in Australia <laughs> <laughs> But this is, you're talking to a guy here who uh, signed up for a race at Land's End once and thought it was in North Scotland. <laughs> so forgive me, Derek, for my <laughs> poor geography, but luckily I checked it and you're close to Melbourne. It's literally the wrong end of the UK. 800 miles end. in the wrong place. I called my brother and I said, he goes, where's the race? I said, Land's End. He goes, oh, nice. I said, yeah, it's going to be a bit of a long drive up to all the way up there but there we go he goes down there i said no up isn't it he goes you don't drive up to cornwall i was like no scotland and i just hear this blank tone on the end of the end of the phone i was like hello (laughs) yeah got got them confused anyway let's go with derek's question Hey guys, loving the podcast and all the insights that's helping my running. I was hoping to get some insight from you for rehabilitation on my right calf, which I believe was a small tear. A few months ago, not sure how, but I developed pain in the rear center of my right calf. I've been continuing to run and even did a half marathon two weeks ago. When I start running, it takes a few minutes to warm up and I don't really feel it throughout the run, but the following few days after it can be quite sore. I have no issues walking the dog, but if I was to try and break into a run, it's quite painful. Looking forward to hearing from you. And then he gives us a link to his last run on Garmin. Mate, calf injuries. Any insights? 
similar to your Achilles, I guess. Yeah, it's probably, well, calf injuries. From that, like, if he says he's getting no pain when he's walking, but he's getting pain when he's running, would you say that's probably the soleus? No, because he says it's right center. Right center. Oh, yeah, I missed that bit. Mm. Um, right. I think it's a, an interesting question. I'm not sure about self-diagnosis of small tear. I would, and I actually emailed him back to say, go and get checked by a specialist because we're mm-hmm. not, we're definitely not specialists when it comes to um, physio and uh, injuries. And there's also a really good podcast I did with Kate Richardson, who is now the Team GB sailing um, physio. So definitely knows what she's doing. But I worked with Kate when I was at the High Performance uh, Academy in Southampton, Solent Uni. And she came on and talked about injury reduction. And it was a really good show. Uh, Go back and check it out. Podcast 34. That was back in the height of lockdown here. 8th of June. Yes. Um, Go and have a listen to that one. And, And Kate has dealt with a lot of injuries and stuff. And she actually did this one as a slideshow as well i believe it's on youtube on our youtube channel if you want to see the slides that she's talking about but back to this question and what i would some of the things i'm looking at um it's handy that he gave us his garmin file because he went out for a 5k run 28 minutes average pace of 526 per kilometer um and actually looking at your average cadence derek it's quite low 156 steps per minute and maximum was 166, which is a little bit low, mate, do you think? Yeah, for that, for that average pace, for sure. And then, I'm, yeah, I'm looking back at some more runs in Estrava, and they're pretty much the same. It looks like that's like his go-to cadence. Yeah, so but the problem with a low heart rate as well. like that is you're, you're asking a lot from your, like, uh, calf muscles to propel you so we want to be using stored energy as much as possible when running or elastic energy if you like Um, and that means using more of like the tendons lower leg tendons your achilles soleus as you mentioned mate the muscles in your foot that when you land you should be taking back some of the energy that you're putting into the ground you only do that running at a higher cadence or a higher stride frequency which we like to see anywhere from 170 up to 180, 185. So running with a low cadence tells me that your ground contact time is quite long, which means that your push off needs to be more, um, more muscular effort than anything potentially, else. Potentially overstriding maybe as well, if his cadence is low. Possibly as well, yeah. So that could have been the cause for the calf injury, but also without knowing too much more about your background, it'd be interesting to know um how like your calf strength is how your foot strength is all of that as well so that'd be interesting to know if i would say i mean it could well be a small tear but it's interesting that it doesn't hurt so he said he's ran a half marathon two weeks ago i don't think you run a half marathon with a torn muscle in your calf so maybe it's just a strain um in the muscle or it could be just a really tight knot in your in your muscle and you need to go and get it either needled or just a bit of manual therapy to help remove that Um, but i think one way to to know is to rest for 
five to six days and see if it gets any better. And then, you know, it was a, a more of a muscular um, strain or maybe a knot or maybe just a tight muscle rather than a tear. If, if it doesn't get any better um, over five to six days of no running, then, and you still feel it like, say, if you're walking and then you maybe try and break into a bit of a run and it's still painful, then you probably have torn it, in which case um, you need to rest for like 14 up to 16 days and start a, a pretty decent rehab program on it as well because um, you're using your calves so much all the time, like stabilizing muscle there, contracting muscle, use it to walk, you use it to stand, like anything. So um, they're a lot harder to, to heal up and you have to heal them through a, a quite a decent rehab process. Otherwise you're going to keep tearing it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. So I would look at that as a place to start is, is rest, see if it gets better. If it does, it's probably just a, a slight strain or um, a, a chronic knot in the calf or tightness and if it doesn't get better then it probably is a small tear in which case you need to go and see a specialist and you need to do a pretty decent rehab program so that you're not you don't keep running into this problem again and again other than that if it does get better then i would start adding in some strength lower leg strength work into your program and maybe you need to focus for a few weeks on really warming up your lower legs before you go for a run and uh, obviously, Run Strong has a quite a comprehensive lower leg strengthening program involved. It does. Definitely. It does. It does. I've used it. Calf raises, some tiptoe walks, A marches, A skips. And it also has a lot of drills in there to help you with your cadence work as well. Mm. Good. Hopefully, that, that could be something there. for the future as well. Like, if you're not doing cadence running in your program, when you, when you do get back into your program, look to increase your cadence mm. i would say if you need to know more about that ask Tarek jabby he knows all about cadence because he asks me all about cadence <laughs> has he increased his cadence uh has he made any benefit since he or started any... since yeah he started, yes yeah he has good that's it mate anything else uh no i think that's resorted it's a lovely day. Let's go for uh, some training again. What have you got? No, nothing. I'm going to. I'm actually going to go do some lower leg work. Really? I'm, I've got. I, I have uh, calf raises. I have run drills today. Do which you? Cadence drills. Yeah. There you go. Look at us living, living what we're preaching. I don't need to, my cadence drills are fine. I hit even despite it was a crappy run. I was still hitting 180, so I'm happy with that. I'm just going to uh, go get my uh, my calf strong. My, my cadence isn't good. I'm a self-confessed, not, not optimally cadenced. But you have, you have quite good run mechanics though when you're running. Mm. You, it looks smooth. It, it does. It does. doesn't matter. What is your cadence when you're running? Pretty low. 82, 83. So what, 160, 166? Mm. Mm, interesting. So it could be better, but I, you know, we were talking about skinny and he's talking about run economy and things. Yeah. I have big feet and I have like quite large calves. So that's where he's, he's interesting. He's talking about like, if you have long levers plus weight at the end of those long levers, you're going to find it harder to run with a high cadence. To swing them through. I do have long legs and big feet on the end of them. So <laughs> it's tough, but it's always good to work on your weaknesses, even if you have, you know, a decent excuse for it and I, it's something that really challenges me is is the cadence work so mm. i enjoy it actually enjoy doing it 
How do you do it? Do you have a metronome or do you listen to music? How do you get that? Or do you do it no. post-run? No, I look at it post-run and during the run, I just try and go on feel. So I yeah. can, if, if I run a five or a 10K, my cadence is great. It's just when it goes on and on yeah, or I'm running easy. Um, so I try and yeah, run more upright with a higher stride frequency. Get that on the get easy runs. landing under your hips. Yeah, on my easy yeah. runs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. No, racing wise, my cadence always is good. But it's yeah. when I go out and easy, easy aerobic, I get lazy and distracted. Yeah. There we go then. Done. Yeah. Good. If you want to send in a question to the show, you can endurance at innerflight.com. If you want to send in a study, if you want to send in a guest, if you want to be a guest, also email endurance at innerflight.com. You can go check out Rob Jones's insane stash on Instagram <laughs> at Rob Jones Endurance. And mine is uh, 2B, TBS, to be shaved. <laughs> and that's on at Tom Walker Fitness. You can email us um, if you want to directly contact Rob, rj at If you want to directly get in contact with me, twinnerfight.com. It's 30-30, Dubai 30-30. We really hope everyone gets out and exercises for at least 30 minutes every day for 30 days. Please. And show us what you're doing. Tag us in your posts, tag us in your Instagram stuff. We love seeing it. We will use it. We'll repost it to help motivate others. Anything else, mate? If you're in the UK, enjoy being out before lockdown. And if you want something to do during lockdown, start running. Boris. Yeah, start to run, mate. Perfect time if you're in the UK oh, yeah. right now. If you're in the UK and you want the Start to Run program, send me a message. I will give it to you. Whoa. Like Christmas give. It's like Christmas. Well, they need, some, they need a pick-me-up. They're going to be inside, locked down for a month. Boris isn't helping them out. So we at Inner Fight Endurance, we will help you out. Insane. A free pro- If you want to pick me up, message me and I'll just send you a sentence and help you out. A single sentence. Yeah. Along with your Start to Run program. Right. Epic. <laughs> so they're going to get start to run and a sentence if they're in the. Yeah. They need to prove they're in the UK. We want driving licenses and addresses. Yeah. What's one thing you can only buy in the UK? Oh, that's a really good question. We're done. Right. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Have a think. Let us know next week. What's one thing you can only buy in the UK? That's it. See you later.